No more clickbait, no more sound bites, and no more videos that are over before you blink. No more being told to click this or to share that because some people think you can't think. Choose a new way of doing things. Choose real people. Choose real stories. Choose the Real Talks podcast. Noel Connors is a two-time All-Star at Waterford and one of the most respected hurlers in the modern game. It was a real pleasure to sit down with a feisty defender and discuss what it was like to burst onto the inter-county scene while still a teenager and the pros and cons of having remained in the limelight ever since. A deep thinker and a keen academic, Noel is a player who has found some of the things that most players crave. A balanced lifestyle, perspective, respect of his peers and an appreciation for the privileged position he is in as a renowned athlete. Over the last six episodes, I've loved getting to hear different life lessons from players, and I want to thank Noel for his authenticity and honesty, and adding so much to this series in his own way. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of Kelly Bradshaw Dalton, who for over 20 years have been successfully selling, renting and managing property in the greater Dublin area. Be sure to check out their website at kbd.ie because this podcast could not be brought to you without them. Don't forget, if you enjoy the show, please do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and we've already had over 19,000 plays at this stage. My name is Alan O'Mara and you are listening to Episode 7 of the Real Talks Podcast. From the puck out, Nocton wins it for Cork. Nocton sends it across, looking for the 6 foot 7. Twin tower ball breaks, the front, the hard must be going. A second give it forward to Patrick Horgan. The umpire was going for the green flag, but he didn't know how good Noel Connors is. We did since he was a 16-year-old. What a diving save by Noel Connors. Puts it out for a 65. Where would you buy him? Uh, that's unbelievable cornerback play. Is, see, he must have made up four or five yards. Looked a certain goal for Pat Horgan. A dive, you know, get across him, a flick of a hurley in for a 65. Absolutely. You know, that's as good a corner play as, you, as you'll ever see. It's textbook stuff. It's fantastic play by Noel Connors. Noel, listen, first of all, thanks a million for joining me on the podcast. It's a real pleasure. What I was going to do today, because last week's episode with Aim McGee from Donegal was really interesting and we focused a lot on really the transition out of the game, moving on in life and just the stage that he was at. And I think yourself as a, a two-time All-Star just recently turned 27. And by recently, I mean right today. <laughs> so happy birthday. Thanks very much. Um, and then, like, when I was looking over things last night, like there was stuff jumped out, like you played minor at 15, under 21 at 17, you're straight into the Waterford Seniors after finishing school. So you're in that midpoint now where you've got good perspective, you've probably learned a lot. And I'd like to just start off the interview by, by talking about that, those, those earlier years. And the date I was going to start with was around, particularly that all Ireland semi-final in 2009 against Kenny. So you make your league and championship debut that year, that, that right? Yeah, 100% yeah. Um, and I suppose that, that game just jumped out at me because it's in Crow Park, it's probably... No, I was looking through the fixtures. Is it the first taste or sense of the sort of, of the big, big time? Because obviously you've had a successful underage career and you've come through the, the ranks, but all of a sudden you're probably where you've dreamt about being for an awful long time. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, um, I suppose it's it's something that you don't really dwell on too much when you're in it at the minute. Um, but when you're kind of discussing it here now about the fortune position that I actually am in and was in at a very young age, 
uh, it kind of it kind of sends shivers up your back, to be perfectly honest. Um, but look, yeah, I was brought in at a very young age. At I think eighteen, um, I was brought in, and I think when you're eighteen and you're after coming out of secondary school and you're starting college, there's no a sense that you have the answers to everything. Um, very naive, in fact, um, but that was kind of managed quite well by club and family. Um, have a very strong family behind me and good support system there, but the club have been, you know, very, very good to me um, since I started hurling um, and being from a very rural, small village, I think that that kind of speaks volumes for itself. Um, but as I progressed, I think, and going into that match against Kilkenny, it was definitely a dream. Um, I suppose we all dream of playing in a Crow Park in All-Ireland final days and All-Ireland semi-final days, but um, I didn't really think it was going to happen that quick. Um, you know, you, you stand out the back um, at a house and you tip around with your father and your brother or whoever is there, your cousins or whatever, and you'd be roaring and shouting, hitting the ball after ball, saying you got the last point and you won the All-Ireland for Watford, that kind of stuff. But um, I think it's it's probably one thing about playing. You don't really reflect too much on it when you're when you're in the moment. I think that it's a given, and I think that at times when you're playing at that level, I think it's very much like a cult. Um, and I don't mean that in a very negative uh, sense. I think that it's uh, it's not really reality because your life is intoxicated by playing. Um, so every moment of the day, you're thinking about eating, you're thinking about drinking water, you're thinking about training, you're thinking about. You know, how to get that extra percent out of yourself and out of the lads around you. Um, and I think it's when you're finished, you only start to realise how fortunate you are to be in a situation like that. Um, but as again, what you said when you go through, you know, starting at that age and playing minor at 15, that kind of stuff, you you kind of have to reflect and say to yourself, you know, you've been very fortunate and um, you have to be very grateful for the places that you have to have been and hopefully places that you'll be in the not too distant future. Yeah, you mentioned there as we were talking around probably happened sooner than you expected in terms of the senior side of things. So I think you're, it's it's your first year out of school, isn't it? And in terms of and then you go straight into senior panel, your as I said, it's league and championship debut. Why do you think it did happen that quickly? What what was it about you or what was the circumstances or why do you feel that that happened? I think there's probably a number of reasons and I think it's probably best to start at the beginning and it's it's to go back to the club, you know, I I'm from a very small rural place. Um, passages, you know, it's at times it's uh, it's nearly backwards, but backwards in a good sense. Uh, you nearly have the barter system still there, but uh, no, it's it's when we were growing up uh, at you know fourteen, you know, you were playing minor, you were playing or twenty one mm. at that age, and there was no rules and regulations under age categories at that stage. And when I was young, I was playing at um, age categories that were well out of my reach at that stage and I think that I'd had to develop a, a lot quicker than what most um, so I would have had you know that being a very very prominent uh, advantage so when I was we'll say maybe 14 I was playing minor under 21 mm. um, I think I made my uh, debut with Passage Interme- we were intermediate at the time um, I think it was I was 15 I was only a turn of 15 so it's it's you learn quite quickly at that stage when you're marking people that are you know a hell of a lot older and a lot wiser and obviously a lot more developed. But I think that too was married with a very fortunate position in Dallas Hall College. Um, in 2007, we won the All-Ireland Colleges, we won the Hardy Cup and the Crow Cup and the following year. 
I was fortunate enough to be captain with Philip Manny, who was also on the, the team with Watford. And um, I think that that kind of put um, put Watford hurling and a lot of the lads on that team in um, a very good position going forward. And I think that when I started in WIT, um, that also kind of added a small bit of value to it as well because there's a lot of tradition in WIT if it's given wise. But I think that it was a, the amalgamation of a number of different factors and um, being involved in minor teams again at a, at a quite young age. But um, look, it's, as I said, it's not something that you kind of reflect on too much. So mm-hmm. it's very hard to kind of convey uh, in a very short space of time uh, something that's been very, very impactful on on your playing career but uh, if you come back to me in a few years when I retire I might be able to conceptualise I'm not trying to retire you today now <laughs> I might be able to conceptualise a lot easier then but uh, well, cause the, the, like the angle that I, the angle that I was thinking about is like just because there's kids are all around the country and myself included but we all did it like you know you wanted to play in Crow Park <clears> you wanted yeah. to have that that big day out so and you've, you've described quite nicely there the, the, the passage through the club no pun intended yeah. uh, <laughs> with school and with college but actually then to, to get there on that day um and to play your Pencle Canyon Crow Park. What's the mind of a... It's, you're 19 at that stage, aren't you? Or are you 18? I was just returning 19. You just have to turn 19. So, like, what's the mindset of, of a 19-year-old running out into Crow Park for like, an occasion of that magnitude in All-Ireland semi-final? Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think, and it goes probably back to the to the ignorance sense, uh, that you don't really care too much at 18 or 19 because... There's no expectation on you as a as literally a child because yeah. that's what you still are. Like, you know, uh there's no expectation. And then when you kind of come to kind of 20, 21, 22, there's a lot more pressure placed upon players mm. that age. And you can even see it in every county. You know, you see young lads coming onto the scene at 18, 19, and they lighten the place up. And then when it comes to about 21 to, you know, maybe 24, 25, they nearly feel confined or maybe hamstringed. Mm. Uh, by the pressure that's put on them by the outside, by, you know, not even clubs, but more so from the public that are in that county because they've been there and they have the experience. Um, and I think that happens, the vast majority of players, it's it's rare that you see someone going the whole way through their career. But at 18 and 19, the, the only thought that was going through my head was to get out in the field and to do as best I could and to take it in and as an occasion. And it's it's probably very cliche of me to say it, but you always have this idea and this kind of view that you're going to be in Crow Park every year mm. after that. Yeah. Uh, and I probably would say that it was a fortunate thing for me to taste it at a young age. And then we were kind of, we were kind of, I suppose, developing then a number of years after that. And we were in Crow Park for maybe four or five years. And that kind of leaves, uh, I wouldn't say a bitter taste, but a kind of a very... Uh, a taste of longing that you want to be back there and you want to be at the top table with Kenny and Tip and that kind of thing but um, it's 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 just go out there and just hurl it it's a freedom whereas when you get a small bit older you be, you just feel like there's a lot of pressure and I think that a lot of inter-county players will say that as they transition from being a he's only a young lad yeah. that kind why of do you think Why do you think that is? Like it's something I would have thought before and I would have experienced and suffered from it as well and I think most do why do you think it is? I think that at 18 and 19, um, people don't expect a lot mm. out of you. If, if you have a poor game, it's it, it's kind of like saying, oh, look, he's only a young yeah, lad. He's, young you lad. Know, he's, he's fine, Grant, he'll, he'll learn. You know, but when you come to like 21, 22, 23, you're, they're kind of saying, listen, Jesus, he'd want to start learning mm. now or he'll, 
he won't be long on the team. So just definitely that aspect of it. And I think people as players, as as every player does, they probably get caught up in that a small bit too yeah. much. And they feel then when they get to that age that they have to be lying the place on fire every day. Rather than just going out and, and doing your job, they get caught up in the complexity of trying to win matches on their own, which is not the case. It's a, it's a team sport. But I think that when it comes to that stage in your career, you're nearly putting too much pressure on yourself internally um, rather than externally. But um, I think that's natural. I think it's mm. a natural transition between that young, naive age to maybe a more mature person. Um, and that's just a cycle of, of life. Yeah, and it's just, it's that, there's challenges in that sort of, in that middle cycle. I think you've touched upon that really nicely there. And I actually, I thought of two things as, as you were talking and I was listening to you. I remember one time, like you, you mentioned playing for the club at a, younger, at a young age, like my home club would be quite similar. We'd be intermediate, Town and Cavan, and me, 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 and one of my mates, we both started playing the senior team at fifteen. Like, um, and we were in, we were in school, we were in school one day after the following game. I was like, "Oh, you played yesterday, and you played well yesterday." I said to my mate, and he was like, oh, like "What did I like?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" He was like, "Like when you're our age, like if you hand pass the ball five yards, like people clap with you and tell you yeah, well done." Like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that changes. It definitely yeah. does change over the following years as people expect more from you, and I think probably as people expect more from you, you probably start expecting more of yourself as well. And the second thing, because I was actually, I was driving on the road the other night and I was listening to a, a separate podcast with Johnny Evans, the Northern Ireland mm-hmm. footballer, was yeah. on it. And Graham Hunter was talking to him. And Johnny was quite similar. He made his Northern Ireland debut before he'd even played senior club football. But he mentioned about playing against Germany. And he said Thomas Muller was playing and he was just running around the pitch laughing. Like he was laughing and joking, talking to him on corners, not in a trying to distract him sort mm-hmm. of way. And then he mentioned about Bastian Schweinsteiger coming in and he goes, I expected the efficient, the German mindset, yeah, yeah. very serious. And he said the lads were just so relaxed and just enjoying playing for what it was. And that's something I've thought about quite a bit over the last while and that I think we might, I, I, you might agree, you might disagree, but I'm just asking, but do you think we've lost a little bit of that in terms of GA and playing? I think most sports have lost sight of it. Um, yeah. I, I genuinely feel like that we've got caught up in strength and conditioning, we got caught up in nutrition, we got caught up in psychology, we've got caught up in, you know, recovery, we've caught up in every aspect of playing. And the only thing that we've actually marginalised is actually playing and enjoying it. Um, like the vast majority of teams now are looking at stats and they're looking at, you know, how many miles somebody runs and are they in, you know, the fatigue and this kind of thing. I think that you have to take a step back at times. And I mm-hmm. think that's something that if you look at it from, I'm an academic, I'm sure we'll come to that. Uh, but if you look at it from an organisation perspective, most organisations actually lose sight of what they're about because they continuously try to critique themselves. So they continuously try to redefine themselves and see how they become better. Okay, Whereas, as if we're obliged to ha- that we exactly, have to get better. Exactly, we have to. But the reason the organisation was set up was for a particular purpose mm. and they actually lose sight of that purpose. Like we play sport because we actually love it, we enjoy it. It's the it's the going to train and it's having to crack with the lads, it's taking the mick out of each other. Yeah, it's, it's meant to be an outlet and a place exactly. to go to express yourself and unwind, really. Whereas at times, do we go to train and, and become, um, do we do we actually dislike going to train at times because you know you're going to have a hard running session or you know someone's going to be looking at their stats or you know that someone is going to say, listen, you missed that pick up, you missed that hook, that block, what the hell is going on? You know, we, we've lost sight of that and there's a lot to be said for going to train and then training and having to crack and enjoying it and, that's something that I would certainly say that the vast majority of sports, particularly, I suppose, 
professional sports because there's probably the monetary aspect. Yeah, there's, of an, it, but, and there's a huge amount of influx of money have got into those professional sports. But even if you take a step back and you look at, you know, the success, we'll say the cool camps and that in the GA and... I, I love going and watching underage lads playing, little cousins, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. And you just have to kind of take a step back and realise, you know, Jesus, they go out and they have a smile on their face and they're enjoying it. And there's no such thing as activation mm. work or warm-ups or cool yeah. down. They go off it's and fun. They shake hands. It's fun, yeah. you know. And you'd wonder you'd wonder if, if a team took a different approach to literally going out and just enjoying themselves and expressing themselves on the field rather than hitting the ball across field or not hit it into a particular area because such and such fellas playing mm. or, you know, bringing five fellas on this side of the field, you know, our signal for puck out. Yeah. Can we not just go out and, you know, just enjoy it? And I wouldn't say it's easier probably said than done, but I think that if you had that kind of outlook on playing, I think that you would definitely get another percentage or two mm. out of each individual on the team. Yeah, I, I would agree with you hugely. I think you've... Like, You've made some really interesting points there. And I know and I understand like the intercounty game has definitely gone a lot more serious, but the, it frustrates me in that I think the clubs in particular have lost mm-hmm. themselves. And actually I had a conversation with a guy who, who put play intercounty football in the in the nineties and he's managing the club team now and he just said to the lads at the start of the year, listen, we're gonna train twice a week. You've got one night to do the gym, do whatever you want, whatever suits you, just get it done. But other than that, we're just gonna try and reel this back. Because I think the demand during beforehand he was gone the other way, it was very five nights a week out and about. And he I was just picking his brain on it because he said he wanted to just get the lads mm-hmm. to enjoy it again because everybody said at the end of the previous year that they weren't enjoying it. Yeah. And as I was listening to it, I was listening to you there. I was struck by even though like, okay, you're 27 today, uh, but I think it would probably be fair to say that you have a wiser head on a, on a younger pair of shoulders, and that's probably because, as I said, you've been around dressing rooms a lot when you're probably well. You're probably one of the youngest people in the dressing rooms quite regularly growing mm, up, were you? Absolutely, yeah. And I was just actually, because I was listening to you talking, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, does that, in a way, does that force you to grow up quicker? Or do you have to, or were you always like that? I think that, um, yeah, I think that you're, you're, I wouldn't say you're forced to, but it's nearly an expectation. Um, I think that when you see particular, you know, setups and how they approach things, I think that it's nearly a, a culture, you know, I think the first thing you do when you go into a place is you try and talk and act like them, you know. Yeah, and that's just that's just human nature. To fit that's, in. Yeah, yeah, of course. Exactly. Do. That's just human nature. But I, do, I would say that's the case. I think that I wouldn't say anyone forced me to. Now, if anyone knows me on a personal level, and, and I know that you know me on a personal level, you can be the first to say, like, when I'm out and about, like, I just love having a crack <laughs> and I'd be quite immature in a lot of senses and I just enjoy having to crack like you know and what do you like in the dressing room then though um i'd be very similar um oh, yeah I'd, yeah I, I would i'd to be honest i'd i'd, I'd particularly with a lot of young lads like you know i try to spend a lot of time with them and um i think that very similar to brick brick is myself and brick will be very similar because mm-hmm. we're probably children at heart uh so we're kind of attracted to a lot of the younger lads um but we love having to crack together and that kind of stuff and making, I wouldn't say making sure they're all right because obviously they're all right to play at that level, but just making sure that everything is going mm. good in a sense. And, you know, I'd be in the dressing room before a championship match and I could be laughing and joking and, and telling jokes where some lads could be in the corner and they could be running up and down the walls or hitting themselves with the hurl or whatever it may be. And you're kind of saying to yourself, Jesus. Um, and listen, that's that's not to say like that I'm doing the wrong thing mm. or... The but, but I don't think it's, there is a right or wrong no, thing. It's, it's to do what suits you yeah. and 
the thing about that is I find a lot of young lads now feel pressurised to become robotic in a mm-hmm. certain degree where they, they end up trying to be like the person that's nearly, nearly, I don't know, mind blown and literally so focused that yeah, you can't even like, talk to them. They're so yeah. intense. But like, that's not the case. As you, as you progress at a young age, you'll soon find that just go with what you feel best because... Some people like, if you're doing it from a scale thing now, and I'm not a psychologist, far from it. If, if you go from a scaling, some people like to be on one, which is like literally chilled out yeah. in Zen. the corner. Yeah. Might be, you know, Snapchat or whatever it may be. Other fellas might I be always like look 10. at those guys and be like, I wish <laughs> I was like that. <laughs> other fellas then, and yeah. they're literally banging the ball yeah, off the wall beside you. They're hitting the hurl off the leg. You know, they're walking up and down, they're pacing it. And it's, it's, it's listen, that's that's totally up to them as an individual. If that's what it takes to get temporized, yeah hit themselves even harder, break a hurley off their head if they have to, that kind of stuff. But that'll come to themselves. But as, as going back to the point, it's about being yourself. Like, And I find myself being attracted to some of the younger lads for that because I think that, and it's probably back to the enjoyment thing. And the moral action. Well, you have yeah. to enjoy playing. Like, you know, I would not be playing inter-county hurling for whatever since the thousand and we won't even go there. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't be playing it if I didn't enjoy it. I mm. absolutely love doing what I do. Um, and I think that if you if you don't enjoy doing it and it becomes a burden or you feel like it's a, a chore, I think that all you're doing is taking down the setup with you. So sure. if you're going in with kind of a negative frame of mind, that's going to rub off and, and that's just reality. It's it's something that's going to happen. It's going there and enjoy it, going with a smile on your face every day. Like, I'll be honest, I go to training every day about an hour and 10, maybe an hour and 20 before every train and it's literally to go in and have the chat with the yeah. physio and then chat with the lads that do the work. That's actual time to relax yeah, and unwind a little bit. literally go in and have a chat with people yeah. that are very like, uh, like if I say the physios see, hate seeing me coming because <laughs> they go, this fella's got to come in now and just say some smart or to give me a dig or this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's it's to have to crack. Yeah, and appreciating the lighter said. side of yeah, it as well. exactly. That to be said. And listen, when I get out into the field then, it's it's quite different. The minute it costs yeah. the white line, you, a lot of people would say that. It's go in and... and literally kill the fella if you have to beside you and the minute you walk off the field it's, it's just go back to yourself having a crack and, and enjoying it from that phase that you've gone through and learned what works for you has that had a has that had a positive impact on life outside of the pitch and just in terms of finding yourself and I know finding yourself sounds deep sometimes yeah, and, yeah. and Jamie yeah. Clark mentioned it in a previous episode but like but it's important to have that self-awareness of what's good for you and what works for you and has playing hurling helped you find that in terms of your overall lifestyle I suppose I've been very fortunate to get involved in things with like the GPA and that kind of stuff where, and it probably sounds very corny in a sense, but as you said, to get involved in a life coaching, like I was asked to get involved with them with a quite young age when Owen Murphy and a lot of the senior lads were there and they were coming to an end and I was kind of the first cohort of young people to go forward and I got involved with them, I think in about 2009 mm. when I started and I would have engaged with life coaches and that kind of stuff and to be perfectly honest about it, I would say that a simple chat with somebody who didn't give uh, fiddlers about who I was, or football or whatever who I is, was yeah. where I came from what yeah. I was doing and literally just sit back and just to talk about you as a person mm. and what you want to do and to see and map out where you want to go I think that that was probably one of the most valuable things I've done since I've started playing sport I've done anything in life is to engage with people and to see you know what I wanted um, outside of the bubble outs- outside of the yeah. bubble like and it's going back to that kind of culture or go back to that cult thing like when you're inside it you're inside it and mm. you can't see outside of it um, and again that's not a negative thing it's just the way the environment is mm. um, but I sat down with a couple of times a fair few times I like coaching and discussed and I think without 
it, without doing that, I wouldn't think that I'd be doing okay. what I'm doing at the minute. Um, and I think that something like that, everybody should be doing because I know the All Blacks and I know a lot of, like the likes of Aussie Rules and all that kind of stuff, it's compulsory for you to have a kind of a, a development plan for when you finish. And it's probably to go back to your last, uh, last week's podcast about when you finish. But like, there's a lot of stats out there um, done on it um, to say like that if you have a kind of a, an idea and you're happy or in work and that kind of stuff that like your performance on the field can actually increase by up to 20%, you know, and, you know, we all talk about winning and that kind of stuff. Like, and if you can increase yourself by 20%, like that's an incredible it's amount. Fight. It's massive and you can't, you can't like get that from very like training 20 days or uh, 20 times a day, that kind of stuff. Like that actually comes from within. And if you're happy, you're going to train and that kind of stuff. It comes back to the, the enjoyment thing. Like if you can see a clear path ahead, like you go to training with a clear head, you're happier and you can enjoy it. Like, you know, and if, if I would encourage any young lad or young girl or anybody, not just young, but who's in a particular position, mm. I would literally advise anybody to go and see somebody that you have a chat with. And it seems to be very Americanized. And yeah, as Irish be, people, yeah. as Irish people were very conservative and were probably a bit traditional in some senses, but I would say, even if it's a 10 minute chat, like, geez, it's just so powerful. And you do find yourself. And from that, I went traveling for three months and I went traveling with my girlfriend for three months. And from that, I came back and I started a PhD after finishing five years in college and doing undergrad, doing postgrad. We took, we took, I took a year out when traveling for three months. And from that, and from having chats with people, life coaches, it was when I came back, it was hit, hit the hit the ground running and think about a PhD from them very simple mechanisms that were put in place. Yeah, like you've described, you've described really well the importance of having sort of a, a space to have proper conversations. And obviously... This podcast is called The Real Talks Podcast, so I'm glad to know you're on board with the message. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, I think you said, a sentence about that you said earlier on to me that, you know, sport, sport grounds you. But do you ever, has there ever been times or, or situations where sometimes sport flares up your ego or your, your personality, your identity a bit in a, mm. has it ever brought complications really is what I'm, I'm sort of curious about because, you know, coming in at that young age and everyone thinks, oh, you're great and everyone's telling you're great. But has it ever brought any challenges in your in, in your life? Um, I would say it probably has to an extent from an egotistical thing. Mm. It's, it's it's not from any other aspect, but like, and it's definitely at a younger age uh, where you think you know you you go in to set up and you're you're sitting beside fellas that you've idolised and mm. fellas you've looked at for years and you're kind of saying, "Jeez, this is just incredible." Yeah. Like, I'm one of the lads, <laughs> and you get the gear and you get yeah. like you know the training tops and that kind of stuff and you you go around and you wear my pride obviously yeah, of but it that's, feels great, that's, like. that's great and that's natural but uh, at times you have to be dragged back into reality mm. um, because you do get a bit too big for your boots at mm. times and, and would you have felt that over the years? Yeah like, I think at a young age you would Like I'm uh, not saying you became no, no, you, like an you absolute knob no, you wouldn't there is, you, it's a, you, you it's would a, it's and that's it's, it's something that every intercounty player will have at some mm. aspect um, but this might on that that kind of that big head or whatever it is that might last for a day it might last for two weeks it might last for two years it might last yeah. for ten years it might last for forty years but it's about the people that are around you to pull you back into mm. reality and say hold up now relax like, you know <laughs> you're not fucking the president or anything yeah. like that you know but um, you know I don't think it lasted too long with me um, yeah. I think I've good people around me that would have grounded me and I think that being 
involved with an older team when I started a lot of them were coming towards their toilet or their career mm. um, a lot of them would have said listen like you know this is going to happen and they would have walked me through things and the likes of Brick and that like Brick would have been uh, you know a massive scaffolding for me when I started even the likes of own Kelly from my own club like he would have always kind of said listen this is going to happen you're going to get phone calls media are going to be there yeah. that kind of stuff walks through like listen just say nothing just kind of get on with it be very generic in what sure. you're saying that kind of stuff if you need any let me know so I've been fortunate enough to have that kind of mechanism there to say the old lad saying listen don't get caught up yes. in it chill out it's a train it's a win and that kind of stuff so it would have happened maybe for a very short period but family and, and friends would be along yeah. uh, giving you a kick in the arse and saying listen you're just fucking you're just the young lad from Passage East you know, <laughs> yeah. and you're not to forget that because um, if you lose sight of who you are you, that'll end up affecting your game and you know unfortunately you see that quite a bit in mm. every walk of life not just hurling or football no, it's business it's, and it's, it's, all, it's, it's, it's always it's everything politicians the whole lot you see so, it all the time but it's it's the, it's it's probably a lot it's probably a very uh, business commercially yeah. it's, you surround yourself by good people like, mm. and, and they won't be long pulling you back into reality no that's why I was asking because like people like, we, we see it all the time it's like it's, it's part of growing up and it's part of learning and you do have to because <clears> like no matter where you're from what age you are like you can completely understand why a young lad would get a little bit of a bigger head for a while. Like you get like, you get acceptance, respect, people coming up to you on the street talking yeah. to you, you get boys, you get girls, whatever you're after. Like you just get like, stuff exactly. just fall, you get free stuff. Like what young person doesn't want all these things? And you're like, this is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, and it is, I think it is a challenge for, an, like, it's not to say it's an absolute like negative it's like, challenge. It's but something it's, that you've always been thinking about yeah. though as well though, because you were that young lad going up to a player before like, you were going up to him and you were kind of saying, listen, any chance of pictures? Yeah, yeah. So you were kind of saying when you were young, like maybe 13 or 14 or maybe even younger or older or whatever, maybe you were kind of saying to yourself, like, geez, I'd love that. I'd love for to yeah. get a picture of sign or that kind of stuff. Like, and when you get there, like you're saying, <laughs> oh, you've actually made it. Like, yeah. this is brilliant. So like, that's just natural and you've dreamt about it. It is, it is so, it's probably something that when you're younger, you actually dream about happening. Of course you do. And when it happens then, you're like, this is just incredible, you know? That's because I think like, because it's brilliant and yet that's particularly that, that start that phase it has to be enjoyed because it's, it's a really really good experience and one of the questions I was going to ask you around is how do how do the GA or the GPA better equip young, particularly younger players coming through in that regard because like I have absolute zero doubt like if managed and educated well enough it's a it's a magnificently beneficial period and process to go through because you get to learn so much and get exposed to many different things but is there stuff that we can do to help lads prepare for that more than than maybe we were prepared like because we're both like, yeah. we're both 90, we're, we're about 1990 kids so like um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about the next generation coming through because mm. even the game at the minute there's more exposure more demands than would have been when we started and certainly than the previous generation yeah what, can, um, can we prepare them for it even I think that we can you can put things in place but I don't think you're ever there, I don't think you're ever going to curb it totally maybe pre kind of warned as pre-arm kind of thing like like advice saying like if you go to this event like <laughs> this is going to happen that kind of stuff and maybe walk them through the process but I don't think you're ever going to fully marginalise that kind of um, ego No I don't think you ever can No but it, like, it's more just around the sort of the education aspect mm. but then again like when you're 18 or 19 you probably don't want to no, hear that stuff either and, and that's, <laughs> that's the thing when you're 18 or 19 you're thinking you're going to be there forever yeah. and that kind of thing and you don't really care like. No you don't and you're more interested in playing and doing that kind of stuff like mm. and you're thinking to yourself like I've loads of time to deal with this kind of stuff like and but the reality is and it's probably a lot it's spoken by so many people when they're finished it is literally a blink of an eye mm. and that is 
I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart, it is literally the blink of an eye. Because before you know it, you're coming to the end of your career and you're saying, what the hell is after happening? Because go? you're living in a bubble, as you said. You're probably yeah. That's probably a better way than saying you're a cult. But you're living in a bubble. Mm. And it's actually not reality. It's, it's genuinely not reality. And you have to step outside of that at times and, as you said, like reflect on it and realise how um, fortunes are, that kind of stuff. And it's probably going back to the retirement thing. It's at that stage of your career where you're saying, Jesus Christ, what the hell is after happening? Mm-hmm. You know, but when you're 18, 19, you don't care. You don't, you, you really don't, don't care. Because you're saying at that age, like I'm only on the planet in 18 yeah. or 19 years, like I'll get 10 years out of my body easy. And and I I think you have to be a bit realistic about that as well. You know, the demands on players now. Mm. Fellas are going to be retiring after about six or eight years because yeah. the amount of work that players are putting through their bodies sure. is absolutely incredible. Um, they're putting more miles on their body than they are in their cars, I'd say, annually. That kind of thing. Um, and not to say that's a negative. That's not a negative at all. You're actually training at a very elite level. Um, and it's, it's incredibly enjoyable, don't get me wrong, but... You see the likes of fellas never turn at 20, mm. 28, 27, 29. Years ago, like you'd see the likes of Tony Brown, for instance, I know. 40, I think maybe 40, maybe 41, but I mean, which is, very, which very is, which is now, like, crazy. Like, yeah. you know, fellas now are retiring very, very young in comparison to before. 30 and, seems to be the cutoff point yeah, at the minute, isn't it? Absolutely. Like done. You'd be very fortunate enough to go through your career without a major injury as well. Like, so, and that's just, that's just going to happen because mm-hmm. you're on the field so many days of the week and you're in the gym so many days a week. So, it's inevitable you're going to get pick up some sort of an injury. So when you factor all these things in, like your career will go literally before you can even blink. So it's to enjoy it. And when you're 17 or 18 or 19, when you can't do a panel, it's to kind of recognize that and to to say, listen, I'm going to put everything I can into that. And if that is to go and think about what I want to do afterwards or make sure that I'm as fit as I can be or, you know, as recovered as I can for the next train and so be it and do it and enjoy it and leave a legacy for yourself. I suppose it sort of leads me on a little bit to, because one of the topics that I wanted to cover was around leadership. It's something that, it's been a sort of a, it's been a constant strand sort of in different ways and forms across all the episodes. And I know, like I know you've studied in, around this area of business, business management and leadership as well. And we'll come to that a little bit later on too. But I suppose around the area of leadership, what do you think makes a good leader in this day and age? What's the values that you would, you would associate with? Um... I'll be honest, I think that a lot of it is someone that's just very kind of charismatic and someone that has this kind of magical way about them that it's very hard to put your finger on what it is that they have, um, but they have it and it's very hard to kind of conceptualise exactly what it is. I kind of have this view on leadership that um, when people talk about leaders, they talk about, you know, this incredible communicator and very, you know, strategic and all that kind of stuff. My view on that. Go back to the robot thing yeah, as well. Like. My my thing about that is that's actually management. Mm-hmm. Management is is you know a good communicator. That kind of stuff. Leadership is not that. Leadership is very hard to kind of conceptualize and not to drag it into you know literature or academia. But like there's no like definition that kind of stands above the rest. Uh, and there's this kind of notion that there's as many different type. There's as many different definitions of leadership as there are the people try to define it, and. My view on that is we try to define something by breaking it apart and try to say, oh, he's a great communicator. Yeah. But leadership is not about breaking something apart. Leadership is leadership and leadership is very kind of magical. You know, someone has it and you can see that they're a good leader, mm. but you can't put your thumb on it. And it's very frustrating. That's, I, as, as, I'm, as I'm listening to you there, is, is, is someone with good leadership, is, is that something 
that you feel more than you actually understand. Would exactly. that be your... I don't know, I've never yeah, really said that out loud before, would, but it's just as we listen yeah. to you. Yeah, it, it certainly is. And I think that it's... I think that it's it's someone also that's doing something for the right reason. I think that that has a lot to do with it, to be honest with it. If someone is doing something for the right reason, I think automatically then that their charisma then kind of rubs off on other people and you can see that they're putting in an incredible amount of work or effort, whatever it is. And I think that that all kind of goes into it. But it's very hard to kind of say what a good leader is because... You don't want to say he's such and such a thing, like, and that just sounds so generic, like, yeah. and I just hate that. I think everyone goes, like, oh, Roy yeah. Keane, like, yeah, you know. A great like, leader, yeah, a great leader. Like, why, why? Because he was a hard tackler, etc. Yeah. like, but there's a lot more to it than that. Like, to me, that just sounds, like, robotic, like, mm-hmm. that's not what leadership is about, like, you know, it's it's not, and, and that's probably, it's it probably sounds like I'm covering, covering over the cracks and I'm not giving you an answer, but I don't think you can actually say what a leader is you, you just know you just know okay. you just know them and act you know you know the way they hold themselves and the way in which they go about their work that's the leader to me okay on on the topic of leadership then i feel like i'll have to ask you about obviously derek mcgrath's in charge of you guys now because as someone you know, I, I listen to all sorts of interviews podcasts tv radio newspapers he just strikes me as someone that's for me anyway as a player looking on he, He's the type of manager I look at and go, like, I think I'd like to play for him. Now, I don't yeah. know him. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about him. But I just look at him like, I like the way he talks. I like the, I like the way he deals with the media. He's not afraid to be open and sort of be... And he's, he just feels as if he's... He's not, he's not the same as the generic... Type no, but he just, I just feel like he's, he's, he's very comfortable himself and he has his style yeah. and he's okay with that. And that, again, his style's not right or his style's not wrong. It's his style. Mm. Um, and I suppose... How, well, how, would, how, would, how have you viewed playing under Derek? Because like, he's someone who... People I think are very interested in because even a couple of people I told that were on that you were coming on through the podcast were like, oh, "Awesome, Derek! Like, he seems really interesting." Like, what's your sort of understanding of Derek? Or yeah, like Derek is Derek is Derek. Like mm. you know, Derek is as you can see, he he's very open, transparent. He wears his heart on his sleeve, and he says that as it is. Like you know, he doesn't try to paper over the cracks, and he doesn't try to give interviews that are three minutes long by saying absolutely nothing. He no. says a lot by saying nothing. He, he says it as it is, and. Derek's view is to try and develop uh, the players, um, not just as as athletes, as hurlers, but as individuals. Like he tries to invest in them um, outside of playing. Also, he wants to see every player get on with whatever it is career or college outside of it, because he realizes that also there's a lot more to sport than just playing, and he wants players to be respectful. He wants them to develop. He wants them to be the best person that they can actually be. And, you know, I think that's very, uh, that's very inspiring because when you're going to train and you know that your manager wants you to be the best you can be. And if you're under pressure, if you're under pressure in college or you're under pressure in work, you can pick up the phone and say, listen, Derek, you know, I'm caught tonight or, you know, three weeks time I have a conference or three weeks time, listen, I have a christening or a wedding. He's very, he's, he's totally understanding just, me. So there's trust he, there. He, rely, he realizes that the players drive it and that the players um, wouldn't be there if they don't want to be successful don't want to win so he's actually he's probably there more of a, a facilitator mm. and just making sure that we're you know in a good frame of mind and we're happy and we're getting on and we're enjoying it um, and I think that kind of comes through a lot of his interviews um, and it's it's definitely something that he has brought to the Watford setup. he's brought up a, a lot of honesty uh, integrity uh, humility where 
he just wants us to be very respectful and he would always say to us and it's something that you know it's something that's really powerful he'd always say something to us like if we were after a championship match and regardless of the score and if we were all going out for a few drinks together and because it's something that we don't do that often like mm. um it he go out and he'd say listen lads i want you all to go out together i want you all to go out and enjoy yourselves and you know be respectful because not in an arrogant way everyone knows who we are mm-hmm. and um don't forget who you're representing. You're representing your clubs. You're representing your families, but you're also representing Waterford and the Waterford people and the Waterford jersey. So, um, if someone is um, if someone is whatever under pressure or if someone needs to be brought home, make sure you do it. If someone gets into a bit of a discussion with someone, make sure that's dealt with. We all stay together and we do everything together, and that's just the way he is. Mm. So he doesn't want any stories coming back. He doesn't want someone to be left out out hanging out to dry. That kind of thing. He's he's very much about looking after one another, um, and I don't want to use the family analogy in sport because, to be honest, it's overused and it's not. It's it to me now. It's not. It's not there like anymore because it's actually lost its power when something becomes overused. It lost its power, but he probably used a lot of the values to mm. do with that. Um, so it's it's probably a very different approach to what some managers would use. But well, that's what I was going to ask you, like in terms of just so as a, as a player as part of that group. What it's like to be in that culture where there is a focus on holistic development, where there is you, where you feel as if okay, this management team actually gives a shit about me yeah, and who I am absolutely. as a person. Because being straight up and been and been honest about it, I guarantee you, most people that listen to this episode will have played under a manager before who didn't give a fiddlers, just yeah. didn't care. And Joe, when you're playing, if you're playing well, they be talking to you, and then sometimes if you get injured and you're missing for three months, you literally the only no time the, the next time you talk to them will be how far are you out? Yeah. And if it's all four weeks grand, then in four weeks' time you get, you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And there'll be no relationship there. And mm-hmm. just no... And I think a lot of people will play under a manager that, yeah. that, that have that experience. And I suppose I'm just interested to know, like, what's it like to, to be in a in an environment does, where you feel that nurturing or that, ca- yeah. that care. There's definitely, the a, there's definitely a sense of... There's definitely a sense of comfort there, to be perfectly honest with it. 100% a sense of comfort. Like, you do, you, And it is... You get the extra percentage out of one another because of that. Uh, because you enjoy going to train and you enjoy doing that kind of stuff and we're all after playing other managers who are very uh, dictatorial in their <laughs> approach and autocratic or whatever way you want to look at it and yeah like he, you, at that point you, you kind of you go to train and nearly between with the tail between your legs mm. and you're like oh jeez I've trained again but with Derek like it's it's fine like you go there and you enjoy it and see the crack and so on and so forth and like to be honest last year I did a lot of travelling with my research and I would have been in Sweden and Italy and I would have went to the UK a lot and even like the last couple of weeks I've been in Paris and that kind of stuff. So I would have missed trainings, but Derek would be listening like, you know, your job is, your 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 career is also as important, if not more important than anything else. And I think um, Keno Sullivan and, and Jim Gavin used a very similar analogy where they yeah, talked about like glass well. or something yeah. like that. It was, it was glass balls that yeah. you have to look after. Exactly, and I think that Derek is kind of using very similar okay. values where it's interesting. he talks about the importance of like your family is, is obviously most important and your career is most important. And that's the thing because you, your sporting career lasts whatever, say let's put 12 years on it, mm-hmm. but like your life lasts forever. What are you I drinking wish, down here? I wish it was forever, but for a lot longer. <laughs> anyway. you know, I, I saw that glass ball analogy too and it, and it did make sense. And I suppose like Derek and Jim Gavin, I think they do represent a new style of leadership. Yeah, and I, the one thing about it as well, though, I think that a lot of our a lot of players now have um, 
a lot of players now are more educated. Mm. Like, and that's just yeah, and it was fact. It's, it's, it's like, the development. Fact. It's yeah. development of players. Like, like we see the likes of even Keno Sullivan. Like he's working at PwC as an accountant. You know, see a lot of people in top jobs setting up their own companies. Like Niall Mack, who was on with you, and like me was on with his own company. Like mm-hmm. you know, whereas going back ten years ago or less, even when I started, um, fellas, a lot of fellas were construction. Yeah, or reps. They, or, they were doing rep jobs. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with it. If they enjoy that, that's perfectly Completely. fine. Whereas now a lot of people, the vast majority of players are in college and that kind of stuff. Now, there's a kind of a there's an underlying discussion here that we can have about that as well, uh, where I would not advocate for every intercounty player to go to college because it's something that also frustrates me. Uh, it's something that it's nearly a it's it's nearly a, a culture in our in Ireland, and it's a discussion. It's it's a discussion around leaving cert players where where they're going like, where are you going to college? Yeah, there's no such thing as you what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Yeah. Like that thing is far gone. Like it's nearly uh, frowned upon now if you don't go get a, like a third level degree, which is mm. absolutely in, insane. You go to like somewhere like Germany where there's there's just as much emphasis placed on someone that gets you know a trade or whatever it is to somebody that goes to college. Mm. And I think there's been a couple of things that have kind of fueled that. First of all, you have the social thing where people are saying, Alan, where are you going to college? Yeah. What are you thinking about doing? Yeah. Then you have the colleges themselves. A lot of them would be saying, Alan, you're a great footballer. We'll give you a scholarship. Yeah. We'll entice you. And that ties back to the ego and stuff. Yeah. And, 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 and you're going, yeah, I we'll want pay, to We'll pay for this. Yeah. We'll give you accommodation. We'll give you that, which is totally wrong. Yeah. Uh, and then you have others, including parents, uh, saying, you should definitely do a job yeah. in IT. There's loads of money in IT. <laughs> yeah. And the child could be like, I hate IT. Mm. What am I doing it? So there's there's so many different things there. And I would say to any person that's thinking about going or to doing their leaving cert, if you want to get a trade and you find doing carpentry is something that you always wanted to do, do it. Like and don't be listening More power, to yeah. yeah, don't be thinking about you know, 10 years down the line, that kind of stuff. Do it because you enjoy it. Like, I play sport because I love it. Mm. Uh, I'm doing research because I love it. I get up every morning and I get a buzz coming into college and reading things and writing things, that kind of stuff. I'm living a dream doing it, like, you know. Mm. Um, but I couldn't imagine getting up in the morning and doing a job that I hated. Um, so I suppose there's a number of things there. Uh, colleges need to kind of chill out, um, offering places because... It might be the best part, best thing for the person because they're a great footballer or a great hurler. It doesn't mean that they have to go to college and represent it. The reality is, a lot of the major colleges have more interested, more interest in using it as a promotional tool, and nearly uh, confine them to do jobs, that kind of stuff. Like which is, which is not so about. You're not a you're not a uh, you're not a commodity where you can be bought and sold. It's not about that. It's about mm. the individual. Um, if you're interested in doing something like that or becoming a chef or whatever it may be. Do it, like, don't do it because, don't go to college and do five or six years of something that you hate. Because the reality is, you're going to be working for the rest of your life. Um, and life is too short, like, Jesus, got very deep again here, but... You're 100% right. Don't, like, don't, like, don't conform to, you know, society by saying, I'm going to college and I'm going to do such and such because everyone else is doing it, or because your mate on the road is doing it, or your mother's telling you, your father's telling you to go, you should do IT, or you should do become an accountant because, you know, it's it's good and it'll look great for the family. Like, don't do it because of that. Like, Jesus, do it because you enjoy it. Do it because you love it. If you enjoy getting up in the morning and you go off on to become a, a personal trainer, like, fair play, like, go do it. Yeah. You'll put a lot more emphasis on something. It's, if you're, like, everyone knows it. The more you enjoy something, the more emphasis and the more attention you're on to, the more you're going to get back out of it. So do it, like, and don't don't be afraid to go against the grain. Like, don't be afraid. Um, because even now, like, you look at, 
there's uh, there's a shortage now when people that do trades like you know and there's going to be there is a housing you know kind of I wouldn't say the boom but there's a demand for people to, and there's no trades people now like so if you go against the grain like everything is cyclical it'll always come back and it could be in your favour but listen geez, go off and do it don't go to college because your mates are here your friends are doing it just do it because you enjoy it and don't and on that don't do something because again in college because your friends are doing it if you're different and you want to do something else do it the, the big point I wanted to make was actually around young, particularly younger people making decisions and not being equipped to make the decisions because mm. we've you've, you spoke really brilliantly earlier on around that sort of that life coaching aspect and people hear life coaching and I was guilty of it too you think that's a bit American it mm. sounds a bit wishy-washy don't know about that but like I feel as if our education system doesn't give no. young people the best chance that, that they they have or need to figure out what you want to do but what I suppose the, the last point that I wanted to pick up to pick you up on of what you said there was around your studies and I think you made a great point around that it's not for everyone that some people prefer trades like I know myself I went to college but it never really don't me I enjoyed the social side and playing a bit of ball and relaxing and so it's good for it is good for your development as a person I suppose mm-hmm. but I'd be more of a doer like I like to just do a job try and do it if I do it well great if I don't some tell me I didn't do it great and I learn how to do it better the next time and I'm, I'm interested sort of, of your your passion for for education for the academic side of things one, the first question is sort of what are you studying now? And then the second question would be where has, where has that come from and how you're wired? <clears throat> um, yeah, I suppose I'm studying at the minute. I'm looking at a P, I'm doing a PhD. So I'm actually in the process of writing it up. Um, so how long is a piece of string before you would ask me that question? I don't know. Hopefully I'll have it done by September time. Um, but what I'm looking at and when you talk to people about research like they talk about real highfalutin language listen mine is very simple and if you can't talk about your project in a very simple way it means that you don't know it yeah. so what I'm doing is I'm actually looking at the GEA club and I'm looking at how it kind of organises itself how it kind of operates how people get positions of power um, how it kind of pulls or enchants people into like a voluntary organisation they, they, people put an incredible amount of time and effort into it yet nobody gets anything material out of it like mm. it's very community based it's where you're from and that stuff and how like it, how it operates basically and you know and so mine is based around like how I suppose leadership in how leadership is done within it uh, the kind of recruitment process of how kind of new leaders are kind of anointed if you want to kind of talk about it in that sense um, how it kind of alternatively organise itself because it's not a commercial organisation it's not about money it's not like anything like that. It's an incredibly powerful organisation. It's a social movement with Ireland and it's very hard, as I said before, to convey how important it is to Irish society. Like, there's been a lot of very bold statements in the last number of years saying that it's taken over from the church. Mm. Now, I wouldn't be uh, ballsy enough to say that in my PhD in case um, someone took it up wrong. Mm. But um, like there's... Like, so that's like my PhD in a nutshell. And like I get up, as I said, I get up every morning. I get so... Uh, I get such a buzz. Yeah, yeah I do. I yeah. love it. Like, and... It's like when I go out, like I would have interviewed people working at grassroots or people working from in very, very small clubs to super clubs to very successful clubs to amalgamations, like the whole way through men, women. I would have talked to people working in administration level. So like, say, for instance, head of the museum in Crow Park, head of like, um, we'll say commercial, whatever sponsorship or any of that kind of stuff up there. But I would have also talked to the last like, so Aegon and the last three presidents. So 
oh. all of them before him. So, uh, but you're also going all the way down to someone who's looking after the pitch and the club oh, and so the coach people, and all that people stuff. That have, people have literally get more more enjoyment out of sweeping dressing rooms. How do you, <laughs> from a research, like a research perspective, because I don't have, how do you make sense of all that? Like, because from the GA, like I think we, we, we always say, oh, it's a really unique organisation. Mm-hmm. But like it actually is like I don't I doubt that there's a model you can compare it to in the no. world, is there? No, there's not. And see, the thing about it is you can compare it or you can compare some operations, of it, yeah, yeah, exactly, to other organisations. However, it's 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 alternative, and that's mm. kind of one of the arguments I want to make about it. It's alternative in its organisation, and it's not. To, and and I suppose one suggestion that I gave, what I would give to Crow Park now, you we were kind of discussing off air before we came on. The, about the conference I presented at a conference mm. and you were saying you were watching it on YouTube and it was at the GA conference this year so the start of the year um, and one of the, one of the points that uh, my supervisor uh, Ray Griffin and I made was for the GA not to lose sight of what it's about so it's not to get it caught up in the complexities of commercial life it's about staying to what its its purpose is which is about playing it's about existing surviving Do you think we have lost ourselves a little bit? I think that the GA club hasn't I wouldn't say the GA club hasn't. I think it's 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 still about persistence mm. and survival um, over kind of winning and materialism. It's not about going out and winning every game. Mm-hmm. It's about actually like representing where you're from, from your family. It's about it's about that. At times, we probably toe the line with commercial things from an organisational perspective, but I think that we're quite good at kind of navigating that thing of not getting becoming a total commercialised. Yeah. Um, organization, um, but I do think that some strands of that are very important. So, like, if we didn't have a lot of that, how would we fund some of the GEA clubs sure. and their operations and that kind of thing? Yeah, so, like, there is a balance to be. So, got it's a there. very good balance, and it, and the GEA does it quite well. It's just the fact that we, what we would advocate is for the GEA club not to lose sight of of you know persistent and survival over winning the material. Like a lot of stories, they would have talked about. Uh, I would have asked them kind of you know their lows and. Every person would have said a low would have been losing somebody that was, you know, very important to the club. Okay. So, like, it wasn't about losing finals. Yeah, like, it that, wasn't about that material thing. It's actually about losing such and such a fellow who was Mr. Mm. whatever he was, Mr. GA in, in the community, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. So, like, it's not to lose sight of that. So that's one thing that is, is very, very important. And it's it's something that I would say to GA, like, that if we lose sight of that, we'll, we'll lose sight of our soul, really. What's the what's the long term gain with the, with the research and for yourself where you see it going? Because obviously you don't take a chunk of work on like that to understand to park it and let it be on a shelf no. in the library. What's like well, what what's the outcome of that research that you would like, and how do you see it benefiting you further on down the line? Where do you see that going for yourself? Yeah, look, I suppose from a very practical uh, avenue, you'd hope that the GEA would take some of the findings on board and. You know, try and promote them um, or advocate for If you them. give them one finding, what would it be? I probably, it's probably the one I would have already talked about. It's not to get caught up in the, the commercialised world, like, because you lose your soul. Mm. You know, we're not about that. Like, you know, that's probably the one thing that I definitely would definitely advocate for. Um, I suppose from a practice, from a, from a, I suppose from a, a job or an occupational side, so I'd love to get into academia and do further research on the organisation. Um, I think that I'd have really, you know, valuable, uh, you know, access to interesting people and that kind of stuff. So, and in fairness, like that every person that I contacted were like, yeah, response rate, no problem. Mm-hmm. 100% response rate, any person I rang, no problem. When, when does it suit? Because I think you're, when you're doing stuff like that, it obviously helps that you're talking to people who do care about it as well, mm. you know. Um, and that's so important. Like that is very, very important. Like, because 
I couldn't imagine like some Joe So coming in and like he doesn't have a clue about the GA and asking me about it and I kind of kind of saying to him like there's not really a kind of sense of sincerity there like but when like I go and I talk to people about it and I it's it's very instant it's like yeah no problem what do you want me to do mm. when do you want me to do it so that's that's extremely beneficial yeah. like, and it definitely has shortened like it definitely has shortened uh, a lot of the research like because I know people struggle with data and they try to get out to people and people are kind of reluctant at times to get involved in research because mm. research is at times a very kind of dirty word yeah kind of trying to doesn't sound out. very yeah sexy they figure out like jesus like, or something is there an issue here like, yeah rather than thinking about the benefit of doing it sure um so hopefully i'll i'll get into academia um in the not too distant future and at that stage i'll hopefully uh be working well you're uh, soon to be dr connor's as well sure aren't you yeah uh, doc yeah hopefully hopefully soon um that'd be It'd be great, I suppose, personally. To be called Doc. Yeah, well, <laughs> Your new nickname. I've been called a lot worse now than Doctor, to be honest with you, and that's on a daily basis. But uh, yeah, look, it'd be it'd be great. And I wouldn't. I'm not doing it for the the the, the title or anything like that. I'm doing it for the enjoyment. And uh, look, it, it'll be hopefully beneficial for clubs. Like I'd love to go to clubs and just say, listen, lads, this is kind of a few things that you could mm-hmm. take on board, and maybe a few clubs that are struggling. You could say, listen, maybe place more emphasis on this or. Maybe you could do this, or maybe you're doing everything right. It'll just it's a cycle, like, and mm. everything in life is cyclical, so it's just going to go. We all have and flow and down out of success, like, so every club's the same, and it's just kind of ride the wave and, and make sure that you're still inspiring a, a new generation and keep keep your toe to the line. I think one of the things that that that, that certainly has jumped out off you over the course of the conversation is that constant if it's learning and getting if it's getting better or getting a better understanding, um, both on the field and off the field. I suppose just as I'm, as I'm finishing up. I suppose you're at a stage in life where you know you're 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 heading towards like the the the, the latter ends of that development stage. If it to do about your studies, um, and and sort of hurling, yeah, moving absolutely. on towards yeah. that that sort of more experienced end of the scale. And obviously, you're playing for a county who have. So what's what's the what's the best way to describe it? That you know, you're there. You're 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 there thereabouts. You can We're see knocking. it. Yeah, you're knocking. You can smell it. You can touch yeah, it. Yeah. Um, we just haven't <coughs> grabbed it yet, and I suppose where do you, that that determination for both of them. Where do you see that going for on the pitch stuff? What's the what's what's the dream on that side, or how do you see that develop? Yeah, look, the the dream hasn't really wavered any bit since I could walk. You know, uh, it's to always win the All Ireland. Like, yeah. and he'd be very foolish and naive not to think that's the case. Uh, every intercounty player wakes up. Of course they do. Every day of the week thinking that we want to win Lee McCarthy mm. or we want to win Sam McGuire. And look, you know, we're we're competitive individuals regardless of who we are off the field. We're all competitive natured individuals and we all want to be there. But listen, there'd be no I think that it's it's definitely a dream. It's a dream that to walk up the steps and look out and lift up Lee McCarthy and, you know, you could kinda of say to yourself, at least that's another dream, you know, reached and I think that it's like everything. It's like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's always something else. Then when that happens, mm-hmm. you always find a a new avenue that you want to go down, or a, a new dream that you want to fulfill. And I think that we'll never ever be happy in life. Um, not not that that's a negative thing, but we'll never be happy in a contentment sense like that. If you win the All Ireland the following year, you want to win it as well. Like so, it's just uh, it's something that that we all need as humans, we always need something to kind of hold on to our grasp or to, you know, some sort of vis- vision in front of you that, you know, you can aim towards because without a vision, you're kind of like a lost soul really, aren't you? Yeah, because 
one of the things that I was thinking about is because you'd hear quite a bit in both codes. So those the teams that that are said are, that are knocking. So you got you've Mayo and football as well that are constantly there thereabouts, but just haven't done it. Does that when you're there thereabouts and just haven't got there yet? Does <clears throat> does that make it harder or does it make it easier to keep going back? Do you get me? Because it does obviously yeah. like, at the end of every season, mm. does questions you ask questions of yourself of the environment of everybody around you. To be, so to be there within touching distance. Yeah, I suppose from a personal level, I think it's easier to go back mm. because you know you're close. Mm. Like for a number of years, we were in a very transitional phase where like Jan and Tony and Ken and Kelly and Milan and all were like... It was a huge vacuum. Yeah, there was a massive, there, yeah, there was a massive like cohort of them that literally ran water hurling for years mm. and they all left. With, like not left, but they retired. Um, and we were kind of in a pretty poor state for, for a long period after that. So it was difficult to go back then when you were kind of thinking to yourself, Jesus Christ, we're a million miles away from where we want to be. But like the last number of years, like you... Whenever stay, whatever stage you went out in, like semi-finals the last couple of years, like you always feel like you know next year like you can get an extra percentage of yourself, like and you can go there and you enjoy going back to the well, like because when you don't fulfil your dream, I think that you feel like that not a failure, but you feel you haven't got there. Mm. So there's always a kind of sense of energy that you're very very close, and it just kind of takes maybe a small bit of luck. I don't know, maybe you make your own luck. A lot of people say you make your own luck, but at times you need a rubber to green or a decision to go your way and you just hope that sometime that'll happen you'd hope that everyone would stay injury free and that you'd have a long summer but it's easier to go back when you're close because there's not too much then between yourself and uh, Lee McCarthy at that mm. stage No it's uh, I just I was just curious about it because it's something that it'd be, it's something that sort of pisses me off a little bit when I hear about like you know not to say it's about your group but like do you know, do you know when a team's consistently close but hasn't got there you hear like other oh, bottlers are never going to do it Yeah, but like people don't understand and realise like what it takes to be in that position to be within striking distance and I feel that gets lost particularly in GA sometimes because everyone's judged on who won the All-Ireland basically but 31 teams can't win it every year exactly. I mean, that's whatever so whatever codes that it may be but there's a lot of teams that can't like I just don't I always think that's a really unfair way to measure success because success can be going from barely making a quarter final to you know, as, as, last, exactly, as, yeah. as last year, you guys go to a replay in the semi final, and again, it's progress. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not, it's not in destination, but it's progress. Mm. Yeah, like and as, uh, I don't know, it's it's I don't know, it's a narrow mind. Not like, like narrow mind. It sounds like it's very negative, but it's not. Like yeah, a lot of people will look and say like the other winners, but it's an incredible amount of work that takes to get to that level. Mm. Like and just an incredible amount of hours that are. Um, put into to get to that level of fitness to get your body in that shape to you know mentally prepare to be eating right like there's uh, so many different variables that people externally and we don't expect them to know every in and out and every walk of life and every grain of rice we've ate or every steak that we've cooked like we don't expect them to know that but I suppose it's just um, it's just to realise that you know, when you're knocking a door, it takes a lot of energy and effort to get there. Like, and you'd hope that uh, you'd repay whoever it is, if it's a water public or if it's the management or if it's the people around you, or if your family or whoever it is. Like, you'd hope that you repay him at the end of the year with silverware. But um, we'll keep striving towards that. Like, definitely. I, I just that's the perfect note to finish out on because I think obviously, so that's the stage where. Your your PhD is coming is, is coming close to an end. I said hurling. It's at a stage where you know you're you're right at the business end. So I just wanted to finish up by 
wishing you the best luck with the, the last bits of the studies um, for, for this for this block of studying I, I, from what I pick up that's going to go further and, <laughs> and just no, I just wish you continued success both on and off the pitch I think you've spoken tremendously open and honestly about just everything in life from breaking through as a young kid to navigating that to being part of a culture that's changing being a leader in a group all those things that we all most of us think about some of us don't have or some, some of us don't and I think anyone that's listening that hasn't will have a much better understanding mm-hmm. for that um, and just again just thank you for your honesty over the, over, over the course of the last hour and a bit wish you well and we'll talk to you again down the line so thanks a million now. absolute pleasure Al thanks a million Well, that's it folks episode 7 of the Real Talks podcast with Waterford's Noel Connors make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes by heading over to realtalks.ie to subscribe to the show or just search for Real Talks on whatever platform you are listening on today there you can also find previous episodes with the likes of Tipperary's Brendan Marr Dublin's Kevin McMenamin and Armar's Jamie Clark if you want to get in touch you can get me on Twitter at AOMDecat or RealTalksIRL And once again, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Kelly Bradshaw Dalton, for supporting this podcast. You can check out their website at kbd.ie for all your property needs. My name is Alan O'Mara, and you've been listening to an episode of The Real Talks Podcast.